Before we get to today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, Paperly. Paperly fills the gap in your traditional SIS or LMS and can save your school time and money. So check out their website at paperly.io. We also wanted to announce that in 2023, we will be launching our second in-person mastermind in Brisbane, led by our friend Megan King. What's an Ed Leaders Mastermind, I hear you say? Well, I'm glad you asked. In an Ed Leaders Mastermind, you'll connect with a network of leading educators. You'll engage in authentic conversations and share your unique challenges, grow your leadership mindset, as well as build a personal board of advisors and be part of a group that cares about your success. If you're sick and tired of the traditional PDs that are purely transactional and have been searching for something more, then an Ed Leaders Mastermind is for you. Everybody wins when leaders get better. And the Ed Leaders Brisbane slash Gold Coast Mastermind kicks off in late January. So make sure you get your application in as soon as possible. And if you're not in Brisbane or Perth, We'll be launching our Australia-wide online mastermind in March, so stay tuned for further details. Check out edleaders.com.au forward slash mastermind to submit your application today. Now, let's get to today's show. All right, welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Kelly, and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. Today's guest is Kirsten Ferdinand, Executive Principal at Brisbane South State Secondary College, which was officially opened on the 7th of June this year after its foundation year in 2021 and is celebrated as the first new school to open in South Brisbane for over 60 years. It's a big achievement. So without further ado, let's get to it. Kirsten, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Luke, and thanks, Matt. Nice to be invited. It's um, a nice chance to get to speak to some of my WA colleagues, nice and bright and early this morning. Absolutely. We haven't talked to too many Queenslanders. I've lived up there, so uh, I know a thing or two about Brisbane and, and South Brisbane. Uh, but I, we love to start the show with uh, talking about your professional journey in education. Yeah, um, so absolutely, and I'm more than happy to share my my interesting career so far. So obviously I'm one of that that generation that you chose a career back when you finished high school and you went to university. So my entire career has been um, in education, both obviously in, as a teacher um, and middle management and now principal. So I actually began um, as a primary school teacher uh, back in the late 80s and started teaching down um, the southern end of Queensland on the Gold Coast. And like uh, most teachers back in that stage, um, after you'd done your couple of years, you were um, then actually made to do your country service. So my country service, I went to Bullyo, which was the tip of Cape York, uh, and spent four years teaching in an Aboriginal community school and Torres Strait Islander community school. Um, so after I did my four years, um, I then was um, married and found my husband there and um and then moved to uh, Mossman, so just north of Cairns, and not just um, continued primary teaching but also um, started a family. So was becoming a mum at that stage. But um, my now ex-husband um, also started to pick up principal work. So as a, a mum and as a teaching mum, um, travelled a fair bit of Queensland um, as he was posted in some, a number of different schools as principal. So ended up going to um, Bullia, which is just on the Northern Territory border, um, so a very um, remote school, and from there went to Mornington Island, so in the Gulf, another Aboriginal community. And when I arrived in Mornington Island, I actually um, started work again as a head of curriculum, and a lot of the regional schools were actually um, what we call high tops, so were prepped to year 10, so they didn't have the senior years. So um, my curriculum work uh, at that school was from the, the preschool years right through to year 10 and working with a number of teachers, not just in that school, but then I started to do curriculum work for all of the Cape and Gulf smaller schools. So I did a lot of travelling um, and, um, and supporting the curriculum development of a lot of schools <coughs> to, to knowing that there was a high rate of, of change of staff in some of those schools. So someone could walk in and pick up a curriculum package and deliver that in line with what was 
the Queensland curriculum or the Australian curriculum at that time. Um, and then going back from Mornington Island, I actually applied to be the deputy principal um, of a new um, high school that was being created in Mount Isa, um, so which was Spinifex State College. They had merged a number of high schools into what was a new concept, which was a two-campus high school um, in, the, in the town. Uh, so I was successful. I became the deputy principal um, in that foundation year of, of, of creating that secondary school environment. And four years in Mount Isa um, as deputy. And after that, it was the time that I felt I needed to get my young boys um, back to southeast Queensland. Was, my eldest was finishing high, uh, primary school and I knew I wanted to give him the opportunity of, of a high school life and stability back in the southeast corner. So Sunshine Coast was home. Um, so I applied for the um, head of school at Kiwana Water State College, which was a P12, and and won that position. So became actually the principal of the secondary campus um, at Kiwana. So moved there with my family. My um, I had the the joy, and sometimes we probably say the not so joy of having both my sons come through. Um, the high school environment with me. Um, I know you're both laughing because um, being boys in a high school, there's there's the um, the sheer fat, um, not so much luxury of having mum as the boss, and 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 my eldest, you know, I often say to him, you you trod the the, the ground first and and broke that down for your younger brother when he came through. But um, I mean. You know, there was there was also the luxury of it that they could come to school with me every day, and if I was working late, they could hang out and do different things. They could easily go surfing in the afternoon. The school's right next to the ocean. They could skateboard home if they wanted to. They, you know, they did have the the best life going through high school as well. So I do remind them of that. Um, <laughs> so they weren't latchkey kids as such, but um, yeah. So I, um, when my youngest son graduated high school. Uh, I then looked at other opportunities for, for principalship and, um, picked up and was, and went to Bray Park, a state high school in the northern suburbs of Brisbane. And when I entered that school, I was the, I think was the fifth or sixth principal that had in 12 months. It was just a revolving door of, of acting principals, acting principals, the long-standing or the principal that had been there for a little while had um, some medical issues. So it was it was a school not doing so well um, in a whole lot of reasons. So um, I eventually was um, awarded and, and won that school on merit um, when it did become vacant officially after 12 months and then stayed in that school for four years and rebuilt a school environment but not just rebuilt it. Um, we actually, um, my team and I, led that school to become awarded um, the State School of the Year in 2017, so across all primary and secondary schools in Queensland. And for, uh, you know, as, as those of you that have been in schools know how difficult it is to lead a change agenda, but not just lead a change agenda, lead a high-performing change environment, and that's certainly what we created. It became a school of first choice. Um, people were you know, lining up to to enrol in the school and, and developed a whole lot of great partnerships that um, I know are still, you know, the school is still thriving. So from that time, you sort of, you know, I, I looked around and said, do I stay and do I continue to lead this school or what's my next challenge? Um, and uh, Brisbane South State Secondary College was um, a vision in terms of the department was looking for a an executive principal to step into what would be the development of what the school was going to be. The school hadn't been built. It was still um, architect plans. Um, there was an education brief around what the education department and the university's vision for the school could be because this school's actually built in collaboration with the University of Queensland. Uh, so there was an education brief and I looked at that and said, am I up for that challenge? Um, is this something that I think I, I'll, I'll, in my words, give a crack? And I said, yeah, I will. I'll, I'll put my hand up and, and put my application in, um, and, and see, see where that goes. So, 
Um, short story was I was awarded the principalship or the executive principalship and said, well, now all of that that's in that document, um, that's just our ideas about what the school could possibly be. You go and, you go and bring it to life. Um, and this is where I am now. Look, lots to unpack there. Uh, I've got a few <laughs> questions. I don't know whether Matt will have at least 10. Um, yep. well, I, I wouldn't mind just going back t- to your uh, the starting journey there. Uh, for a question around, you know, you spent a lot of time in the remote areas of Queensland and some remote schools that were probably quite small. What were some of those learnings that you took from, you know, being in those remote communities and being really a part of, I imagine, the fabric of the community? And how has that kind of helped you develop, you know, years back, now looking forward to how you are as a leader today? Yeah, oh, and great question. And you probably picked up on probably what is underlying in terms of who I am as a, as a leader now as well. Um, I I think I was one of those young teachers that when I left the Gold Coast and first went to Bamaga that thought teaching and teaching students was pretty much this is you pick up that product, you go into the classroom and this is your model for delivery and young people learn pretty much the same way. And because that's the environment that I had been in for two years and pretty much, you know, middle class families um, and students did exactly what they were expected to do with very little intervention or need for differentiation back then. When I got to um, Bamaga, I think I realised about in the first week that that was not going to be what was needed to have success for those still, for those kids. You know, the first thing, you know, you've, you've faced with is um, high absenteeism. You know, they're just not even coming to school and understanding then what are all those barriers in the community that actually limit young people from success and, and even the language. You know, we think of our Indigenous students um, or our First Nations students as understanding the English language, being able to, you know, read and write and when they come to school that their actual um, language and their, you know, their their ability to speak um, English, we we just assume is on par with our our other mainstream um, kids, and that was my first, you know, uh, enlightenment, I suppose, in terms of no, they don't. They're actually speaking their own first language, and for them to understand what I was saying as a teacher, but equally to the the written language, was a whole new challenge. So. You know, in my four years at, at, at Bamminger, I learned to speak, you know, Creole. I'm, you know, I learned to go with them at times and sometimes get down into their language to get through and, and make those connections. Um, and the other thing I learned that, that learning doesn't always have to happen in the classroom. The number of times I would just meet the kids outside the classroom or down, you know, but, but on the beach or down somewhere, um, and make that a learning experience and, and also make learning fun, but look at how do you get the kids into school and understanding that even though you might have 20 children in your room, that only 10 are there ready to learn. The other 10 are there for safety. The other 10 are there because, you know, they, they've got nowhere else to be and, you know, just that that need for, um, you know, basic nutrition that you can provide or just basic connection and safety and the safety from one another. So I, I learned really from there on and through my entire journey since there it's a you know that re- that connection with kids and that relationship is just so so important um but also to understanding where kids are at when they come to school or when they enter a classroom and success means something different for every kid and i think that's part of what i've taken with me and but not ever stepping away from high expectations i believe every young person um, can learn and every young person should have everything provided for them to, to achieve that success on, on whatever and wherever that might be. So you described there, um, in, for me, is that, that deep calling and, and understanding of the human condition, the thing that's actually really driven you um, when we talk about connections with students and, and the way they learn and the like. I'm interested in, in sort of exploring your stepping into leadership from that place of understanding your why. And, and Spit Effects might have been that moment where you, you stepped into, into a, a leadership role. How did you reconcile what was, what was in your heart and then what you were faced with as you moved into leadership? 
Yeah, I, it's it's been a really interesting journey because even when I was in Bamiga, um, and just as a classroom teacher, if the principal was off, you know, out of town or or anything for the day, even in you know in my fourth and fifth year of teaching, I'd be called on to go up and support the office around. <laughs> you know, students that would like that people were struggling with or um, just the, the parent issues. So I, I think I did it without knowing I was doing it um, in some parts. And then um, through my being a, a mum and, and back in those days in small communities, you know, being a stay-at-home mum was a luxury, but I was I, I, I found it really hard to be a stay-at-home mum. I actually started the play group in, in Bullia um, and in Mossman, I was president of the kindergarten and, you know, all of those sorts of things. I just couldn't help myself. And, you know, and having, an, you know, my ex-husband or my husband at the time being principal of small schools, if he had staff away and didn't have anyone to cover classes, I'd take my kids to school and actually teach, teach, teach classes while I had my own kids in the room, um, just to help out and, and never wanted to see, um, anybody, you know, at, at any school or any kid. Um, go without and but then when I was doing the head of curriculum role um, in the Cape and Gulf and from Mornington Island I think just naturally I took a leadership around curriculum so without leading um, the school or teachers or that management aspect I was leading curriculum so I'd go into other community schools and support the principal and support the teachers around understanding their, their curriculum and, and helping them pull their pieces together. So when I got to Mount Isa, yeah, I was, you know, first time as a deputy principal, I was nervous, I was all of those things, um, you know. I had my own office the first time I've ever, you know, that had ever happened. Um, and, yeah, there was all of those anxieties about being an official leader, but... I just, you know, at the end of the day, for me, it's about kids. It's about kids. It's about the teachers that teach the kids. And then just operationally, let's make sense of how we do this well. Um, and then, you know, working with the, the principal of the time around that strategic vision and that, you know, the community had a real clear strategic vision for what that high school could be. So it was just really about how do I enact that and how do I use the people and, and the skills that I have to, to, to bring it to life. I want to just fast forward to you <clears throat> returning back to the Gold Coast. You kind of described for me a real work-life integration, not so much maybe a work-life balance. And I'm wondering whether you could kind of elaborate on how you found that as a, you know, as a family and balancing uh, or integrating that instead of rather than balancing it. it. It was a real conscious thing for me that I knew I wanted to be in a leadership position um, because I knew I could value add and I knew I had a vision and, and, and the skills to actually deliver a really wonderful school environment. Um, but I also knew I was mum and that's, um, a really, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting balance, but an, it's, unless you've got kids yourself, it's a hard balance at times to make. So it was being smart with my time. Um, so knowing, you know, getting kids to school and getting kids home from school is, is, you know, that number one is around that safety and it's around that routine. Um, being really smart around being prepared. You know, my Sundays was always grocery shopping, setting up the fridge, setting up everything for the week ahead. So, you know, there was there was no surprises. Um, I always said to the kids, you know, apart from what would happen in a week, um, whatever I could do to avoid that um, would be, yeah, would be the no surprises. And I always had time for my kids at night, you know, in terms of, you know, the afternoons, they're both extremely sporty. So they were going from one sporting venture to another. So it was making sure I could commit to that. Um, and then at night time, knowing that I had a little bit of my homework to do, but equally support them with theirs. So, you know, it was, you know, we talk about and people laugh, you know, oh, not tonight, it's a school night. <laughs> in my head, and my world that that particularly through their high school years that that became really pretty much like it's a school night we have you know we, we can you know still do little bits and pieces but so that we can maintain the routine so we don't burn ourselves out what does that look like um but you know I still have I still laugh my my son's now my eldest is 28 I've just become a grandma which is really really exciting 
um, he and his partner. So, and um, and my youngest son is 25, but we still laugh that, you know, they'd come home some days and I'd get home and they'd go, other mums have home cook- cookies on the bench when we get when they get home from school and we don't have anything like that. And I, and my comment was, well, for the Watch first yourself. Three, yeah, no, I said for the first Watch yourself. years of your life, you had home-cooked everything because I was a stay-at-home mum for the first three years. You had the best environment. But right now you're old enough to skate to the shop and buy those cookies <laughs> and we can enjoy them together. So, yeah. <laughs> So, empowerment, yeah. empowerment. That's it. <laughs> it was. It was empa- and reminding them. Resilience of, too. Absolutely. And, you know, they, they do laugh. But at times they they did have to remind me, particularly in their old their senior years, um, when we'd have conversations at home, mum, take the principal hat off now and talk to us as mum. So yeah, that, that's right. that moment you enter in your house, it's that take that hat away and whatever and you are now mum so yeah 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 was that really important at times absolutely yeah absolutely because there are times when the principal in me wanted to just say you have got everything in front of you yes you've got a b c d e and then the mum stuff was i understand you're tired you're exhausted this is hard and how dare the teachers put that extra pressure on you It sounds very uh, similar to my house where my children say, we're not your students, or my wife says, I'm not uh, one of your staff members. And um, so that certainly resonates. Let's now move, I guess, to where you are now. And, and Brisbane South is certainly a new school doing great things. And you described being um, handed this 70-page dossier, <laughs> if you like, of yeah. the, the, the latest and the greatest, um, and, and I guess the starts of a vision for, for this new school. What did you do with those 70 pages? So I did read it, you know, and I've read it actually a a, a number of times. And in reading it, I also went, I love how people just can sit with a piece of paper and pen and write the absolute best of the 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 best, knowing that that's what you would love, but clearly not really understanding how you bring that all to life and make that happen and make it happen instantaneously. So it was about really pulling back the layers in that document and for me highlighting what were some of the key messages. So in terms of, yep, the collaboration with the University of Queensland. So there was an expectation that there would be um, a really active um, relationship and, you know, collaboration versus um, partnership and they were very dis, you know discerning and using the word collaboration because partnership means money whereas the university was giving no money it was just that it would be in collaboration so all of those things in principle um, that you can benefit from both mutually so it was about pulling that back and going okay well that's that's there that's a given but what are the other things so it was about a student-centered school well that's something you know and I think part of why I was awarded ultimately in the end because that is what I have always done and made Bray Park very, very successful was putting the students at the centre of everything. So you don't do something unless a student benefits from it and that really making that a driving force between what it actually looks like on paper and what you actually feel when you're in the school. So so I knew that piece and I knew that that's the piece that I could I could do well and, and lead. But then there was all those other elements of, okay, pedagogical excellence. Um, you know, it was going to be part of an active, you know, participant in the knowledge corridor. It was going to have the latest and greatest technology. It was going to be a flagship for what wellbeing could be. You know, all of these things. So I just highlighted where I needed to start. And where I needed to start was it was going to be basically the flagship for Education Queensland. It was something that they had were spending double the amount of money that they had ever spent before on a new school build. So, it, you know, architecturally I could see from the plans and the design that it was going to be absolutely amazing. Um, no pressure. I know. And there was no pressure. But the first, and, you, you know, you talk about where you step out and into, an, into a new environment and there was no school. It was just, okay, well, here's an office. Now just start making things happen. And I was based in central office, which, 
you know, and I'm not one of those sort of people. The moment you take me out of the school, I sort of go, oh, I'm in foreign land here. So, you know, being in that that corporate sector um, with other public servants I, I didn't was not a comfort place for me. Um, but I just then, all, you know, started meeting with the vice-chancellor over at the University of Queensland, the pro-vice-chancellor um, in the first instance. And my first meeting with her around their vision for what the school was going to be and would be and, you know, that all of that um, weight of um, a university's reputation resting on the success of this school, that I remember walking back to my car and going, oh, no, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Just going, all right, there's, this is the reality now and, okay, got to put your big girl undies on and we're going to have to do some some serious some go, some thinking and, and brainstorming on my own because I was it. I was my own executive team and leadership team at that point. And, but I also knew that your brand and, and what you come out and say you are and who you say you are is one of the most important parts of success because you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression. So working with um, key people at UQ around their, their business and marketing team um, we actually, I actually sourced a great branding company and I got them to lead with me the work of unpacking that educational brief. So what did it mean and what could it mean for what we could brand our school, our college as? So during that journey, I had also um, appointed my two deputy principals and I'm, you know, I'm someone who do, does know my strengths but equally what I know I need in strengths of others to complement me and to complement the team, but also to drive that forward. So working with the deputies and then the local community. So I had a number of parents who had already said, we want to bring our kids to this school. We live in the area, um, you know, so PNC presidents or PNC reps from around the area that engaged, I engaged with as well around this whole branding process. So beyond just what the name of the college could be, but to, you know, what's the vision? You know, what, what are our key messages? Who, who are we going to be? And, and that's where, you know, the new standard came from. And why I loved that one when it stood out was, yeah, the new standard. People look at it from the, 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 the initial part and go, the new standard, look at this amazing school, look at this amazing build, the architecture, the technology, um, you know, just the, 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 the actual footprint of where it is is the new standard. But I knew the new standard when you go, you dig deep into what are our key messages, what are our deliverables, um, are about that it's student-centred. We are going to challenge conventions. We're not going to create a school like has been done for the last 100 years and every new school just seems to be a new one of the, the old. You know, we're going to collaborate and we're going to use those collaborations, um, you know, partnering with the best to, to achieve our outcomes. And then for me, it was very much about, because this sort of came out of the brief that it was going to be, we're going to be a global school. We're going to do this and this and this. But importantly, it's about that we're going to, you know, live local or look local, but then we're going to have that global aspect. Um, so for me, that was really key to being part of, of what the college was going to be moving forward. So in everything we've done and, and when we introduce the college to our parent community and the broader community and even to staff is about the new standard is the vision that this is how we're going to do that. And, um, and it is now about bringing that vision to life. And, you know, we, we talk about um, our, stu you know, our students are at the centre of everything we do. We're about wellbeing. We're about inclusivity. We're about, um, you know, harnessing those curious minds and, you know, the work that I do with um, Joanne McKechn around the learner first is about, you know, that self-understanding, so students understanding who they are as learners, how they connect both with one another and others but also knowledge, how do they connect with knowledge and curriculum and then how do they contribute. Um, so ultimately we want our young people to contribute um, back to back to society and back in the way that they believe that they can add value. I'd just like to um, just confess that I visited your school um, uh, a few months ago and I had the fortunate experience of being shown around the college um, by one of your young men 
And what struck me was his sense of self, his sense of himself as a learner, as a person in the world, a person in his community, and responsibilities that he has uh, at that school. Um, and the thing that also struck me was he's, he said to me, because uh, I obviously quizzed him about all sorts of things because it's a new school and I love to ask questions. Um, but I said, talk to me about the teachers here. And he says, they just teach us differently. They just know us differently. Um, and for me, when I look at that idea of success or the, or the new standard or that, that understanding of the learner and putting the learner first, in that moment for me was, uh, this is a school that's living its vision its mission and purpose already within a short period of time. What do you say to that? Yeah, and that doesn't just happen um, accidentally. That was and that is intentional. It is absolutely intentional, and it's part of um, the fabric for for, for how we deliver um, both the the pedagogy, but also to the focus on our students. So every student, even prior to beginning with us, so upon their enrolment, we begin what's called their learner profile. So we we um, interview our students, um, but it's beyond just the academic and you know the, the the awards or what they do. It's about who they are. So we get we get them to talk to us about what do they like to do in their spare time, what are their hobbies, um, you know their family group, their, their you know do they have pets. Um, how do they like to learn? Do they like to learn independently? Do they like to learn in groups? Um, have they ever had a passion for a cause that they've worked hard for? Do they help others? So we create this learner profile, but we also interview the parents around that same profile. And we ask parents about to, you know, talk to us about your child. What are their their their, their hobbies, interests, likes, dislikes? Um, are there things, um, ways in which we can support them to be the best that they can be at school? And then what are your dreams and hopes for your child? So we create that learner profile. So even as our students come to us in their first couple of weeks and months, there's teachers are making connections with students beyond just their academic and who they and a, and a name on a sheet and, uh, you know, on a scale on a, on a computer screen. And from there, our students um, actually take part in part of our curriculum, which we call Learnerpreneur. So we've intentionally created a subject, which is Learnerpreneur. So it's not just your role mark. It's actually um, 30, 40 minutes every day that students using um, the rubrics from the Learner First um, identify and discover who they are as learners. So their self-understanding and they look for evidence about where they are basically from a getting started right through to Geared for Success. And if we look at that rubric, the Geared for Success, I would say, would even challenge some adults around are they really geared for success around their own self-understanding. And so we do that self-understanding in Year 7 and then we start to move into their connections in Year 8. Um, and then as they move into senior years, we will be having the International Baccalaureate. So for them, it will be that contributive stuff, which we know that is really key to that whole um, IB program as well, which is around that catch. So how do they do that community service aspect? So, yeah, it's an intentional aspect of what we do. And, and it's something that I always say to all students, I'm talking about it on assembly, I talk with staff and parents, is to be the best person that you can be and to be the best learner that you can be, you've got to own it. You have to own it, but you need to know where you're at and you've got to be able to talk about it and, and use that language of learning. We'd like to take a quick break here to talk about our sponsor, Paperly. Paperly is an all-inclusive platform that helps teachers and staff save time. It's 100% Australian-owned and operated with seamless integrations into platforms like Synergetic. But instead of taking our word for it, here's Peter Clem, Director of IOT at Wesley College. Integrating Paperly with our Synergetic setup was seamless. Dan and his team were very receptive to our feedback and helped us in bringing together a solution that supported our entire college community. We've enjoyed working with him and look forward to bringing our college IT shop online and into the 21st century. So check out Paperly at paperly.io. That's P-A-P-E-R-L-Y.io to find out more. And now back to today's show. I'm interested in uh, that learner profile and the work you do to uh, to gather that information. But um, I, I, I imagine it's one thing to collect it and gather it, but it's another thing to keep it 
up to date and keep it in front of staff. And so that um, I'm interested in how that continues to be shared and evolves so that every staff member kind of can have that real-time information around the learner profile as the student moves through the school. Yes, yeah, so part of what they do is they then they start to create their digital learning portfolio. So throughout all of Year 7 and throughout all of Year 8, they're actually collecting evidence around their profile and who they are. And so we celebrate that um, in Term 4. Every student has... Um, they, they prepare their digital portfolio to present to their parents about where they're at and their teacher, so there's their learnerpreneur teacher who's their key teacher, supports them in that conversation um, and then we share we share those across um, all of our teaching staff as well. Um, so we share the successes of where our students are because for some of our students, they're really scared to share some of that information with their parents because some parents, um, and you would understand in some of your school context, have preconceived ideas about what their kids are going to do and where they should be. And some students, you know, in sharing where they are around themselves as a learner and what their goals and aspirations are don't necessarily match um, some of their parents' hopes and dreams for them um, when it comes to um, you're going to be this, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be. So whereas for some students, you know, I I want to do something, you know, in another field or whatever because that's part of when they talk about themselves as learners and the evidence and the why they why they get success with that but why they enjoy that aspect and where they think they would like to be going next um, is really important. Yeah, so they're living um, and, and moving documents and, you know, for our year eights now, you know, this will be their second year or it will be their second presentation. And for them now to be starting to share where they're at and getting ready to do that next term um, is really exciting. I want to sort of shift gears here and, and talk a little bit about your school because, you know, the notion of being an innovative school is certainly something that's bandied around and, you know, there's you know, innovation awards for all sorts of things at the moment. And, you know, you know, I wonder if it's one of the most overstated things at the moment, overstated words or concepts. Um, but I'm interested in, in your idea, in this idea that innovation is actually about doing something rather than just having an idea in your head. Um, and I'm also interested in what happens before innovation can take place. Be really interested in your views on that. Yeah, uh, and I agree. Innovation's not just give me a building and then look and we're doing all these bright and shiny things and so now it's um, innovation. Um, for me, we use the word challenging conventions, um, you know, quite openly when we talk about the new standard. And for us, it's that challenging the convention of what has always been traditional schooling. And, you know, for us, it's about putting the students at the centre of everything we do. But students, you know, that student voice and agency, and that's another word that gets bandied around. Oh, what, you know, student yes. voice and student agency. Whereas, you know, the work that we do, we know that you can only get student voice and agency when students have developed the competencies in order to do so. So it is about, for us, that focus, you know, that just as much we have that academic focus, we've got to fo focus around our, you know, our competency development as part of um, that learnerpreneur work that we do. So we talk about with every academic goal, there should also be a, a social-emotional um, goal or a well-being goal or a competency goal. They go hand in hand. So when students are competent then um, across, you know, if we think about, you know, your citizenship, your communication, your collaboration, your character, they're starting to develop those competencies. It's at that point then that they can have voice and agency. So for us, we are engaging our students with voice and agency. So some of that innovation is coming from them um, and how they, you know, want to learn and how they, how we know that they, that they are learning and, you know, and also to, yes, we've got the, the best technology that allows us to, to do things differently, but it's how we do that. Um, so it's about how we use the tools that best support the students in the classroom every day. And I imagine then that to allow that process to happen, you need to have the right staff. Um, and I'm kind of interested in, um, you know, you, you've talked about challenging conventions, the new standard bringing in people that are uh, buying into that concept or they say they buy into that concept, but then when you get them into a classroom, they're like, where's my rose? 
where's my rows of tables? And and have you found that to be a challenge when, you know, recruiting staff? Uh, not really, because I've been very intentional about how I recruit staff. So and, and so my every- follow-on question to that would be, what have <laughs> yeah. you done during that recruitment? Process? Yeah, how? We how? Yeah. So we I have out. the luxury. Yeah. So I have the luxury of being able to interview every single teacher that I would like to um, have become part of the team, and then um, having some real clear questioning around. So you may not be, you know, may not be a hundred percent in that space, being able to deliver pedagogy and and, and work collaboratively and co-teach and everything like we do. But what's your philosophy around education as a teacher and are you open to working in this environment um, and are you open to the professional learning that you'll be part of um, and collaboration to to be the best that you can be? And we talk about here um, engaging the new standards so we actually have professional um, observation, feedback um, and coaching that doesn't happen hierarchical but happens um, very much, you know, in the, in the teaching space amongst one another. And have you seen any skew to the type of staff that are more open to that type of teaching? Like is have you got a mix of older and younger, you know, from different backgrounds? How does that play out? Yeah, absolutely. We've got um, some teachers here, I say, that are older than me. Um, so, yeah, we've been able to, you know, go from the, you know, people apply for transfer that want to be part of what we're doing. Um, but then we've also got new teachers. So I have a real mix of um, age, demographic, um, teaching maturity, and then equal, you know, that that energy that comes from um, from new teachers too that are learning from our experienced staff. One of the things that um, is happening in Queensland over the last year or two is the introduction of ATAR. Um, and, you know, you talk about challenging conventions and challenging ideas. How does that notion of what you're getting after in terms of innovation sit with ATAR now in Queensland and I guess the the narrative um, and dialogue that's happening across the country at the moment? Yeah, interesting. You you asked that question because I'm challenging that every day. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, we're going to be an international baccalaureate school, um, but we're also looking to introduce the IB Career Development Program, uh, Career Pathways Program. So, Within that, the opportunity for students to, if they want to get an ATAR, um, how the the system in Queensland actually um, can calculate that back to a university ATAR score. But beyond that, I'm already starting to work with our, you know, our universities, and particularly University of Queensland, around what are the other alternate entry methods that our students should be able to. So learner profiles. Um, you know, opportunities for students to use a mixture of vocational um, and and subject choices. So it is something that I'm I'm working hard with. Um, I've you know and got definitely got the right people in the room to start those conversations. But I believe every young person who wants a pathway um, into university should be allowed to to, to access it. So as we um sort of start to, to think about um, sort of the, the, the ending, of I guess, of our conversation today. One of the things we love to do is just to kind of do a deep dive of reflection um, and sort of kind of put you on the spot a little bit. But one of the things we've done in the past, we've talked to founding principals before, and they often say um, that it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a one job only kind of experience, but you've done it more than once. You've been part of foundation pieces. Um, is, it, is it a one time? Is this the, the only thing that, that you do? You, will you go and start a new school? Again? No, no way. This is it. I think I, I think I aged about ten years in, in, in two. Um, no, I, I actually don't. I don't think I could do another one. Um, I think you, your energy of what you create, and that visioning into, into your one. Yeah, and it is. And I think I read a, a quote about you know it's like having a third child, and I've got two boys, but yeah, it is a bit like that. And um, you know I. I get so much satisfaction in in now seeing the school thrive, the kids thrive, my staff thrive, that, you know, I'll know when it's time to sort of move on to my next thing, but it won't be another new school. Um, I always say that I will be won't be writing another CV ever again. Um, so what I transition to next will be because I have a joy and a love and um, and an opportunity to do so. And, and no doubt the role that you're in now, it, it has to be all-consuming. Like, you know, 
how, where do you now, you know, find your inspiration, you know, to keep going? Like, where are you looking? What are you listening to? What are you watching that provides you that kind of inspiration on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? Yeah, it is, it is, it is all-consuming. Um, I also am the secretary for the Queensland Secondary Principals Association, so when I'm not doing this 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 gig, I'm doing that as well, uh, which I love, and that's um, very much around supporting my colleagues and and making state education the best it can be. But when I'm not doing this, my my getaway and my escape is very much um, my family, and and my sons still live on the Sunshine Coast, even though I'm now in Brisbane, and and I love nothing more than being around family now that I'm a grandma. Um, is just yeah, kicking off the heels on a on a weekend and putting on the walking shoes, walk the dog, um, nurse a baby, do grocery shops, fold washing, and do all of those things. Total escapism. And um, yep. on holidays, I try and pick up a book, which is just normally a trashy novel, <laughs> because I find I sort of do a bit of reading through the through the term and uh, and other things. Um, but yeah, it is just being a bit daggy when I can be on the weekends and. Um, and and just sort of blending into society. Love it. And as we close out, um, one of the, the last questions we often ask is about the future of education. But in this instance, kind of sort of switch it out and and say, you know, in the next five years, I guess, um, at Brisbane South, what's your aspirations and hopes for that school and for those students? Oh, my hopes and dreams for the school and the students is that we are recognised as as a college or as a school that is challenging conventions, and um, and through all of the, the the visioning and the saying of who we are, that that actually is present in everything that we do, and that our kids are living and breathing it. But they're achieving success, and whatever success means for them, that that's noted and it's recognised. Because I don't want our systems to continue to only recognise via ATARs and number of, you know, it used to be OP1s, now it's 99.9s. I don't want our system to only recognise them. I want them to recognise that our students are well, you know, that balance about being good people and have a really amazing pathways. Now, we love to close out uh, the show with my favourite segment, which is the quick fire five. Uh, so, a quick idea or thought. Matt's shaking his head. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> so, we'll get to it. Yep. What? What narrative has been either overrated or underrated in education in the last 10 years? Oh, back to basics. It's got to go. Basics were never good. <laughs> Let's go I remember that. that. I remember that. <laughs> oh, what's that, 2002, 2003? Oh, that was a while every ago. Every time I hear it, I cringe. <laughs> yeah, you basics. I remember that. That was great. <laughs> the most interesting PD you've ever done. Um, it would be a women in leadership course that I did probably about ten years ago. Um, and it wasn't educate it wasn't educators. I was the only person from education in the room. So it was pe- women from all through different groups and organisations. But it was great just coming together and learning together and realizing as a woman um, in leadership, but just leadership itself that it was something that was doable. If you could change one rule or one thing in education, what would it be? The policy writers don't create the education direction for us. That seems like an easy, uh, an easy one to, to change. <laughs> we'll get that done tonight, today by 9am our time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one book our audience should read. Yeah, this is a this is a bit of a favourite of mine. I keep going back to it. It's it's oh, it's probably about seven years old now. But uh, Michael McQueen wrote the book Momentum, and it talks about what gives. Um, you know, your, your businesses and your high flyers, that momentum but flow and the energy and the fuel to do what they do and to create um, being outstanding, you know, businesses that are world-renowned. And lastly, one person you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. Ooh, on the podcast, interviewed. Mm, now, I hadn't sort of really thought that one ahead, but if I had to sort of lob somebody in, I'd say Mary Coverdale. And Mary Coverdale is one of the directors for The Learner First in Melbourne. Um, she was an, um, an assistant regional director up here and previous um, prior to that was a, a principal in Melbourne for many, many years. Well, with that, that brings an end to our show for today. We'll have to uh, connect about Mary. Um, I hope you've enjoyed our little chat with Kirsten. Matt, I know you've got a few there. What are your closing comments today? 
Um, I just love that the journey has been around um, challenging conventions. Actually, I think that sits at the core, um, not only from a change agenda perspective, but also um, that that deep um, why around the human condition and, and kids and learning. And you've lived that from day one and you're still living it today and you're still going to be living it into the future. Um, so I just want to thank you um, for your inspiration this morning. No, thanks, guys, and thanks for the chat. It's been great. It's always nice to sort of go back and reflect on, on who I am as a leader and what drives me every day. So it's great to have the conversation. So thanks heaps. And for me, I kind of uh, have a couple of notes. I like that notion of having a crack that you talked about, you know, early on in your career and kind of um, finding the students where they are, not necessarily having to be in the classroom, but if you need to go and find them at the beach to have a conversation, you know, go and have that. And I think that's a really interesting notion. Um, and uh, a couple other things, the learnerpreneur, I quite liked that kind of concept of the learnerpreneur and kind of con continuing to reinforce that kind of ideology. And we didn't get to touch on it too much, but that kind of idea of bringing in professionals like, you know, a branding company to help you kind of navigate and tell your story and, and understand at, at the heart of what you're really trying to achieve and, you know, coming out with the, the new standard. I, you know, I love that. And I think obviously that sets up the department to, uh, to replicate, you know, what you're doing, you know, in, in every other school. And I, and I think that's a great, a great outcome. So uh, to the audience out there, um, if you, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and uh, don't forget to share the love and tell a few of your colleagues or maybe the person sitting next to you or responsible for your next PD day that they should listen to an episode of Ed Leaders. Kirsten, thank you for giving up your time to be on the podcast. For the audience out there, how can they best connect with you uh, and find you on the internet if they want to do that? Yeah, so just go to Brisbane South State Secondary College website and down the bottom, there's a contact us, um, an email address. If you click on that, that will find me. Excellent. And any closing advice before we uh, finish up? Oh, uh, My advice is always, you know, have the energy to get out of bed every day and be excited to go to school and make a difference for not just one child's life, but every child's life. Sage right. advice. Now, remember, you can connect with both Matt and I on LinkedIn, or you can check us out at edleaders.com.au, where we'll keep you up to date with all the latest of what we're up to. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Go well. Thanks, guys.